You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 457 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined today by Seth Miller and Fosma Moon. Gentlemen. Good afternoon. How are you, How are you doing? doing? Yeah, I'm doing. Okay. <laughs> um, what about... America. I mean, this is, I guess, late breaking news. Like we saw this posted by Adrian Waltz, Waltz yesterday. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday, so it was posted on Saturday. Uh, Americans basically uh, giving up on Austin as a mini hub. It's bad. I'm not <laughs> sure giving up is uh, the entire story, but it's bad. They are cutting massively. Um, what I didn't count the number of destinations, but a dozen or so fully disappearing. More. Yeah, it's probably almost 20. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's more than a dozen. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just looking right now. I've been sort of playing with Serium while we've been getting ready to record here. If I look at June compared to last year, June, yep. uh, 630 fewer flights, which is 30% fewer departures. Um, hmm. 80, 70% fewer departures on the E-175 and 170. Hmm. So the seventy and the CR sevens, the seventy seaters are massively disappearing. Three twenty ones are gone entirely. Uh, it'll just be three nineteen, three twenty, and maxes or max eight and regular seven thirty seven eight hundreds there as of right now. Hmm. So, yeah, um, not only are they cutting most of the destinations, they also, in a number of scenarios, are reducing frequencies. So you got. Um, I want to say, I'm looking at the list here, Boston, Charlotte, Indianapolis, Las Vegas, Nashville, New Orleans, Orlando, and Raleigh all drop. Uh, Charlotte goes to five daily. The others all go to a single daily round trip as opposed to two or three. So <laughs> I wonder if a little bit of that, um, I'm trying to remember now, I think it was JetBlue's earnings last week They were or two weeks ago now, we're talking about they weren't seeing business day trips anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, in some of these, like... Let's see, Fort Myers, what is that, Fort Walton Beach? VPS. Uh, yeah, VPS, uh, Jacksonville. Yeah, there's, like six, there's six or seven cities in Florida that are gone. And that's all like, that's all like, I mean, it made sense spring break time. I, I mean, I'm surprised. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Florida. Them. Jacksonville, Fort Walton Beach, Daytona, Tampa and Fort Myers, Nassau, Kutukana, Montego Bay. Liberia, Costa Rica, and Cozumel, Puerto Vallarta. Um, yeah. It, part of it is interesting. Like, you look at these and you're like, well, gosh, how was there ever enough demand to fill them? But then you also look, Austin, to DFW is going? That, that, that can't be. Right. No. I don't believe that. No, it's no, on a main. That's, that's got to be a different. Yeah. Okay. No, that's DFW to Daytona Beach. That's what that is. Okay. Sorry. There's no way that was right. Um, uh, but yeah, like a lot of them are, there was no way there was enough local traffic. And then you look at, could they have actually created feed and flow through? And so maybe in some cases, but I can certainly understand. Um, and I think as you just said, it looks like it's regional jets, right? Yeah. So I wonder if they need these for, uh, the Northeast. And so that goes back to replacing the, uh, NEA stuff that JetBlue is flying. Um, looking at like LaGuardia, for example, same comparison, June to June, um, 
LaGuardia gets 500 new flights this year in June that did not exist in 2023. Half of those are on E-170s, fives. Hmm. So definitely they're going to move some planes up there. Now it's that all of them know, but it's a good chunk. Tough hit though. I mean, for Austin travelers, I'm sure it's it was nice to have the option to go somewhere nonstop <laughs> on yeah. American. Yeah, but you know, we also we talked about this last week. Like Virgin is gone too, as of January. And, Virgin Atlantic, yeah, and and BA is cutting back as well. BA is. I didn't see yeah. that. Yeah, some of the reduction. They're downgaging some of the aircraft, if I recall. Wow. But it's, I mean, I don't think this speaks to like weak Austin economy. Like, I think it's more to maybe it's it, one American needs the planes elsewhere. Um, two, it's probably the demand for these routes isn't as high as they originally thought um, outside of, you know, spring break. I, um, I would say that there's if you look at the real estate market, it's also slowing down in Austin faster than elsewhere. Yeah, that's true. Oh, I, I think it is indicative of stuff going on in Austin. Yeah, but those people, but people live there now. Like it's slowing down, but people aren't leaving. You know I, what I mean? I understand that, but a lot of people, like renters, can't afford to stay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just saying, you know, I'm not seeing change for BA yet filed. All three fifty one thousand still. I thought I read somewhere that they had downgaged it already. Nah, if they are, it's not filed yet. So I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I'm just, it's not. Showing right. it, uh, but anyway, yeah, no, you know, Stephen, yes, yes, like slowing growth is different than gone. Um, I will say there was also, I'm just looking at that. There was some other interesting um, statistics. I think Allegiant is this is why I can't quite tell um, if it's uh, if they've actually fully cut or if it's just too far out in the schedule and they haven't filed yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's. There are some other cuts coming at Austin as well. Uh, American is down significantly, but uh, who else did I see here? Uh, Frontier down 70% also for Q1 compared to last year. Although that's just down from three daily to, or from one daily flight to stopping at some point. Um, Spirit is down, three, dropping 300 flights, 40% of its operations. Hmm. So, um, and a little well, trimming as well, a little bit. Interestingly, Allegiant flies Austin to uh, Fort. Was it uh, Fort Walton Beach? VPS. They fly that as well. Huh. So I found that interesting. Um, they fly a lot of stuff out of Austin. They fly Knoxville, Grand Rapids, uh, Dulles, which is another American route that was coming out of there. Indianapolis, which was another American route. Um, Orlando, Sanford. I don't think Orlando was on uh, Americans' list, but it's not cutting, but it's a reduced frequency. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, let me see what else. I had something else there that I thought was interesting. Um, they do Bozeman, which American does as well, but they do it seasonally. Um, so there's it's some weird overlap there, and I wonder if like maybe oh, in Sarasota they do Sarasota, which again another Florida destination. So I, it's it's just weird. Like it's yeah. I, I mean that that's a good answer of can you induce demand? Is it sustainable and maybe it's sustainable for very limited operations but not full year round yeah daily or multi-day multiple times a day operations yeah i mean if we i don't know if we want to talk about allegiant 
now. I think we had it in the notes for later. But yeah, I mean, I think it's worth talking about now. Or I mean, we should talk about Spirit too because Spirit's doing some weird. Uh, let's talk about Allegiant first, and then we can yeah. Talk about well, it. Spirit, yeah. Well, well, I'm pulling that up. Spirit is leaving Denver, which is always you know you feel like leaving a big airport. Always a little weird, especially uh, Denver of all places. Yeah. Fastest growing, sure, but like who are you growing against? Yeah, right. Frontier has massive capacity there. De- uh, United has massive capacity there. Southwest has massive capacity there. What could Spirit pro- possibly bring to the table, and competing where? Mm-hmm. So, I, I I understand that one a little bit. Yeah, but um, excuse me. I will say the Alle- the Allegiant thing I thought interesting was uh, sort of their talk about how they're shifting. You know, like the other LCCs, ULCCs, which by the way they're no longer want to be referred to as an ultra low cost carrier. They want to be per- referred to as a profitable low fare carrier, PLFD, not ULCC. Okay. <laughs> I mean, which is weird because they lost money this quarter. Uh, so referring to themselves as profitable is interesting. But putting <laughs> that aside, uh, they they lost twenty five million in the quarter, but that included special charges. So probably they, you know, this is the accounting game of well, those were just one time things; they shouldn't count. Like, okay, but like you have less money in your bank account now than you did before. So yeah, yeah. Um, Stop bringing facts into this. Hey, listen. Uh, if nothing else, I like to at least be consistent in what number I report. But uh, yeah, they uh, the interesting one to me is base fares dropped, but total fare paid was up. So this is a little bit like uh, I think spirits was also like ancillaries were up, but actual total per passenger was down. At least Allegiance total per passenger was still up. But um, the way the ancillary revenue grew is what I thought was interesting. So much like spirit and I believe Frontier, there is a technology fee or something like that right for buying your ticket not at the airport yep so that's 10 or 20 bucks that's sort of fixed cost that's built in but considered an ancillary um so even if you drop your base fare that stays relatively as a high percentage so that helps you know juice the numbers but uh allegiance said third party revenue per ticket grew 16 percent so that's huge but that happened against a backdrop of rental car days being sold dropping 8% and hotel room nights being dropping 23.5%. So the, the increase came in higher prices, not higher volume. <laughs> and I look at that and just wonder, like, what does that actually mean longer term? Is this a shift in the makeup of the consumer? Right? Because Allegiant will always tell you they have two different types of people. They have the very leisure traveler that they often can get to buy a package deal and they have second home slash visiting friends and relatives who are going and have a house and a car wherever they're getting to uh and different very different markets and makeups there but um you know the ceo in the i can't remember if this is the paired remarks or q a basically said uh not basically literally said well leisure demand during our peak periods continues to outperform pre-pandemic levels we return. We experienced a return of normalization during the off-peak periods. In other words, off-peak things are not good. <laughs> they operated fifty-five percent of the capacity in September that they did in July. <laughs> so, I what I really don't understand there is there the max shows up next year. They're now saying uh, Q1. I think it's delivered probably Q2 and enter service. 
and they still think they're going to be able to not fly it at all all day every day. You know, they're going to keep their very flexed schedule of ramping up and ramping down, and hmm. still somehow lose money with all these brand new Max planes. <laughs> I yeah, bizarre, bizarre. Kind of and, and oh, it, sorry, and it's going to be the eighty two hundreds to start, not the seven. So it's going to be a big plane. Yeah. What um, what do you guys think? I mean, so going back to the Austin discussion, didn't Delta try to make Austin a mini hub at one time? Yes. Isn't it still? No, I mean they only serve Atlanta, Boston, Detroit, Vegas, L.A., Minneapolis, JFK, Orlando, I guess, Salt Lake City, Seattle, and then the only two outliers really are Cincinnati and Raleigh. There are other mini hubs. Yeah. So it's I, like it's a hundred. Uh, no, sorry, it's total flights uh, twenty four hundred for the quarter. So divide that by ninety. I mean, what I look at when I look at this, I see two things. One, lots of people from yeah. When I when I look when I look at when I look at this, I see two things. One, Austinites like to go to Orlando, and two, they like to go to Las Vegas. That's that's what stands out yeah. to me. <laughs> and that's what that's what I say. That's what Delta has actually changed is next year for Q1, they've added Orlando and Vegas dailies. Everything else is more or less static. Wow. Couple like they've trimmed a few random frequencies to Boston and Detroit, and Seattle l- loses one of its daily round trips hmm. or half of daily, uh, no, one way full daily. But um, yeah, there's not much going on there. But it, it, it is a very weird one. I I, I tend to agree with uh, the idea that like there are still people there, but at some level, it, it, it the growth is slowing and we're starting to see a rationalization of how much people can travel and where they're will go, willing to go to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so we talked, do we talk about allegiance earnings at all? Yeah. That was yeah. the bit about their ancillaries are just so off. And I, I really don't understand what's going to happen there, especially given that like they're, they're taking the 8200s to start, which I think they're going to fit with like 180 or 190 seats. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of, it's a lot of lift. Yeah, when they're going to very quickly add uh, those planes to the fleet. I think it's like six next year, but by the end of 2025, it's going to be 50. Um, and they already had 50 options for the type. They're now up to 80 options through 2029. So hmm. six, seven, eight, nine. So over four years, they can take another 80 planes if they want to. Wow. Um, and <clears throat> some of that will be potentially retiring older A320s, but some of those A320s were new from the factory. They're not that old. Yeah, yeah. And maybe, I mean, these days, who the hell knows, maybe you offload them and because they're easy to shift elsewhere, right? You know, there's still demand for even old A320 and 737NG uh, leases, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't know if that demand is going to hold. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about CM Reap. They're getting a new. They got a new airport. I guess it's done now. It's pretty. Uh, it's, it's very far outside of town. Uh, yeah, it's like another hour. It's like an hour and fifteen minutes from center of town. Um, the old airport was like right next door to Angerwatt, right? Like pretty much 15, was, 20 minute drive. 
relatively close. I mean, I guess I guess they're getting enough traffic, enough tourist traffic, and there's probably enough domestic traffic within uh, Thailand and in Southeast Asia that they, it, I guess, it's use, useful. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to find my notes. I flew in there once. Um, I said I said Thailand. I meant Cambodia, but yeah. um, correct myself now. <laughs> um, when I flew in, I want to say I had to do it from. Oh, we did it on. What's that other on Bangkok Air? Because yeah. we couldn't get a flight. Uh, Thai didn't fly there. And CM, probably Siem Reap Airways wasn't flying it? I, I think that was a toss-up. I hadn't flown either, and it was a way to get... Uh, uh, get The timing worked better. Mm. I, if I remember correctly, Lena and I, we actually flew via Bangkok and had an award that finished in Bangkok, and then it was like 150 bucks either way, and I picked the flight that was the best timing to get us through. Mm-hmm. Are they keeping the airport code or is it getting a new, does the new airport get a new airport code? That I don't know. Look real quick. Yeah. REP. Yep. It gets a new one. SAI is the new one. Oh, fancy. Yes. Um, was, so they're closing the old one. It's interesting. It's the second, the old airport was the second busiest airport in Cambodia after Phnom Penh. Yeah. Like, yeah. I imagine it'll stay, it'll continue to stay busy. I will say, if I understand, if I remember correctly, this one is uh, financed by China. So that's always exciting to see how that's going to play out. The debt and, right, with like Ethiopia, similar uh, in Addis, their airport was financed by China. If I remember correctly, there was, they've already started to have some debate about how that's going to get repaid. Hmm. Right, just give us your precious metals and we'll call it even. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Um, the Delta, uh, you tell me the story. There's a Delta officer that was basically threatened, uh, the pilot, uh, and he's an officer, he's a flight deck, uh, officer that can carry a gun. Um, and he's been charged now. This happened last year. He was only charged this year. Uh, basically there was a medical emergency on board. The first officer threatened to shoot the, per the, per the complaint filed in the charges, threatened to shoot the captain if he diverted. Um, I don't think we know if the plane ultimately did divert or not. And many, many other things. But the pilot who has been charged is the same pilot who fought the vaccine mandate in the Air Force Reserve to the Supreme Court and lost his case there. Uh, he's also currently on deployment at Rammstein Air Force Base in Germany. This story is just like, it keeps getting better. It's like, what's going to be the next uh, next turn? For certain definitions of better. Yes. Well, I mean, for entertainment value, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, I don't know, it's bothersome. I feel like the... Um, the program that pilots carry guns. Uh, do we need that anymore? Do, do we? Do we ever need that? It seems seems pretty bad if a guy's uh, going to threaten the captain uh, with with shooting him. Right. Yep. But like, if you go back to the Horizon incident, we don't know if one of them was carrying or not. That might have made that transition easier. Yeah. But would it? What? Did, but would it have been better if? Yeah, I don't know. Like, what if it? Uh, what if it didn't? It went the other way. Oh, yeah, I mean, there's always one S, right? Like, yeah. it, can, it can help in a situation, and it can also deter a situation. Yeah, 
I just, I don't know. We have air marshals. That program's still in place, right? It is. They sit in the cabin, uh, not on the flight deck. There was, there's been a, some debate, you know, people testifying and giving, not testifying, but giving interviews, uh, former officials, government officials talking about the program and its value and whatnot. I, I see zero value in it. Like, right. The, and someone's like, well, it obviously would have helped on 9-11. A, I'm not sure. We don't know how many shots would they've gotten off versus how many terrorists there were. Um, but B, we, they lock the door now. There's other screening involved. They, there's not a policy of cooperation during fights rather than just land the plane. And like, th- there's so many other things at play that it's hard for me to say, see say like oh well someone trying to hijack a plane is never going to know if the pilot also has a gun and so that's going to be the like the layers of deterrence that might be what actually makes them decide not to i i don't see that but maybe i'm stealing myself here um but it's it's hard for me to uh, to come up with a scenario where the gun on the flight deck is a good idea so i i'm i am not a fan of the fco program I mean, I don't know. I doubt anything will happen um, to change it at this point. Maybe, maybe it'll change, but I mean, it I, seems I like, um, and it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like this is getting a lot of press. I mean, this is kind of, it's just as, to me, it's just as disturbing as the, the horizon incident. So in a different way, but anyway, um, Let me, I, I, yes, I was, I was, I'll counter that slightly. This one at least probably wouldn't have effect seen all the passengers die. Because mm, mm. the one Fair guy point. probably theoretically would have still landed the plane, but it is pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Miami. Uh, they got a makeover for their bathrooms, which I've used the bathrooms at. Uh, I don't even remember which concourse. It's probably D. Um, my it was rough. <laughs> some probably some of the worst restrooms on the planet. <laughs> For for airports, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, this, this is like, on the one hand, great news. So the the news is basically that they're gonna they've got a they've updated bathrooms on three concourses and they're gonna finish the rest. Um, the bad news is it's gonna take till the end of the decade. <laughs> God. Um, they're gonna do like thir- and part of that is there's a lot of bathrooms. It's like 170 bathrooms need to get updated, but it's like 30 a year. Yep. So. Yeah, I mean, and Miami's a big, I mean, it's a big airport when you think yeah. about it. Like, it's it's fairly large, so it kind of makes sense. I just, I was amazed. Is it um, the American Concourse? What is it? Uh, is it D? I think it's D that kind of goes on the north side. Yep. Stretches. Like, I was just amazed at how big that concourse actually is when you, like, stand in it. And, and it just stretches for what feels like forever. It's over a mile long. Yeah, it's it. <laughs> so... Um, having new bathrooms is good. They were pretty tight and like not, they didn't hold a lot of people, which I thought was a problem. Um, so this is, it's a, it's nice to hear that they're making work. So when they get done with this round, it'll be starting trying to start the next set of renovations. They'll be building a new airport. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, Skipple cuts, uh, you know, it's it's now had a response from the United States. What about? Yes, the... we we talked about this a little last week, if I remember correctly, about like the fight over slots and who's going to see cuts and JetBlue yep. wanting its slots that it wasn't going to get allocated. Uh, since then, the formal decision was handed down that yes, JetBlue will not get slots 
for next year. And also uh, historical carriers, U.S. carriers, I think, are losing roughly 350 slots for the summer. Hmm. And it's slot pairs. So 350 operation uh, arrivals or departures. So significant. Obviously, not as much as KLM is going to be affected, but it's a lot of cuts. As a result, the U.S. has filed a formal, uh, has has said that it ex- it accepts the claims made by the U.S. carriers that this is sufficient to uh, open the formal dispute process with the Dutch government. And the first step of that is that it has demanded uh, Netherlands registered airlines, which are in this case KLM, Martin Air Cargo, and TUI, uh, TUI Netherlands, uh, to file schedules which doesn't sound like it's much, but that is basically the first step of this is what you say you're going to fly. You want to fly. Haha, here's what we're going to let you fly. Hmm. So they did it with China. Uh, it's still in place with China because of the capacity limitations there. And so anytime a Chinese carrier wants to add flights to or from the United States, they have to file a request to the DOT and the TOT gets to decide if that will be permitted or not. Hmm. Um, and, they, the DOT can look at, you know, KLM's full schedule and say, this is adorable. It's cute how you think this is viable. This is what you'll actually be permitted to fly. Thank you. Have a nice day. Couldn't KLM minimize some of that by just transferring the slots to Delta? It could, in theory. Um, Delta already flies more from the U.S. to Amsterdam than KLM does. I was shocked by these numbers. Um, KLM only operates about a third of the total flights between the U.S. and Amsterdam. Delta operates closer to half, and then United and American and JetBlue make up the rest. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a... I'm trying to see if I still have the uh, full numbers here, uh, right at hand here, mentioned here. So Q3 of this past year, so the quarter just ended, uh, KLM operated 1,073 of 3,300 departures from Amsterdam to the United States per the Sirium data. Delta had 1,552, United had 460, American 178, and JetBlue 42. And so then that ratio holds similar for next year. So one of the things about the way the filings, the schedule filings work with the U.S. and China is that basically the U.S. said we will permit Chinese airlines to fly exactly as many as China permits of the U.S. That's an even 50-50 balance. If they did that in Amsterdam, it would actually be more reductions for the U.S. carriers than for KLM because there's more U.S. Hmm. flights. So obviously, they'll have to do a proportional change or something else. But this is not saying KLM can't fly to New York, as JetBlue has asked. Um, it's not fully stopping everything. but It's not stopping anything yet, but it is the first step in what will certainly be an interesting series of events between now and next March. Interesting. Which is when the season shift happens again. So, yay. So how do you, how do you think this ends? I think if, uh, if the Dutch government chooses to not back down and keeps the flight cuts in place, that the U.S. will impose some limits on KLM's fly or Dutch Airlines flying, which is basically just KLM. Um, and that's going to create all sorts of challenges because of the European Open Skies Treaty. And uh, it, it's going to get ugly. Like, right, like that's, that's a scenario where you're like, well, 
it's it's open skies, but like we're as an airport, we're allowed to say that you know there's only or as a country we can limit the operations within our within how many flights we want to allow. And the debate is whether that can be the first step or if it has to be the last step and some other things that there, there's some nuance to it, but I can very much see it becoming a significant uh, political dispute, diplomatic dispute. Hmm. But shouldn't the air, an airport, any airport have the ability to control how many operations it can do? In theory, yes. Um, and, you know, slots are not new, right? Slots exist everywhere. Somewhat ironically, the IATA and various groups are constantly talking about how sort of good slots are in a lot of ways. I'm trying to find it's the document because there's something in the text. Um, if I can pull it up here real quick. Uh, about, it, yeah, go ahead. Because I was going to say, I, I think the distinction here is the Dutch government's saying Schiphol can't take any more flights. No, not that they have any other airports. I mean, they do have Rotterdam and others. But they're not saying any of the other airports are restricted. Right. Um, now, runways and other things, uh, but there's some challenges there. But basically, I just found the doc here. So let me see if I can find this section I thought was interesting. And also, there's some data notes we should talk about. Um, so one thing the U.S. says is that it has tried to have diplomatic conversations with the government of the Netherlands and the Netherlands uh, Department Ministry of Infrastructure and Water Management, which is who controls the airports, uh, keeps blowing them off basically. Um, and it's essentially uh, the Department of here's a quote from this from their uh, the filing. The department objected that the first phase of the plan to implement an initial reduction of aircraft movements at Amsterdam Schiphol did not follow the prescribed best. Approach, excuse me, balanced approach, despite the requirement under the agreements to adhere to the balanced approach. Um, and then there's a second phase as well. So it's basically saying that there's supposed to be other things that are considered. Um, right. If the, if the goal is lower noise and lower emissions, um, that there's other ways to achieve that short of just cutting flights um, here we go. A footnote: when, env- when environmental measures are established, the aviation environmental standards adopted by ICAO shall be followed. Um, the party shall apply any environmental messages. Uh, blah blah blah. Yeah, that's not as helpful. But there's a link I can put in the notes. If no one's going to read it. Doesn't matter. Um, but there, there's all these references of taking a balanced approach, and they're basically the U.S. government has now said we no longer see that this has been a balanced approach. So you are not in compliance with your treaty agreements. But what would be a balanced approach by that definition? Um, I don't know. I think part of it is the airlines have argued that using more efficient, like requiring more efficient aircraft or lower noise aircraft, maybe like, could you say NEOs only? And that would be more acceptable than fewer flights. Um, somewhat ironically, they have done a bit of that. There's a, in the list of sort of slot availabilities, there's a list of airline or excuse me, aircraft types that are no longer permitted. And it's the old loud ones that you'd think they would be. Um, no more, no more L 10 11s. Okay. A bunch of illusions. Yeah, it, it is, but it is stuff like that. It's, um, so well, hypothetically, what's to prevent the Dutch government from just saying no three twenty ones, And that would backfire on JetBlue pretty quick. Yeah. And on other airlines within Europe. And well, would you say no three twenty ones or no CEOs, but Neo's and, LRs, XLRs are allowed. 
just hypothetically, if, if the Dutch government decided that Czech Lou is the one instigating this, and they want to go after that, they simply say no 321s. I think it impacts. I think I think it impacts the European carriers less. Yeah, because I think they can move around. They'll just put CR. They'll put E one seventy fives or CR nines or something. They can do three twenties. They can do seven thirty sevens. Yep. Yeah. What's to prevent them from doing that? I think similarly, there would be arguments that that's not in that's not in uh, line with the stated goals of the agreement, and it's an irrational way to try to create this. It's not. That wouldn't be seen as a strictly environmental uh, move. It would be seen as otherwise discriminatory. Whether they get, you know, who who wins, I don't know. But that, my guess is that's why that's how they would argue it. Hmm. I mean, look, it, it, like your blue pushes too far, right? Like the reality is, the Dutch government can make their lives difficult. I mean, it can be from things like restricting aircraft type to valuing uh, their, their safety operations, any number, any amount of red tape. But they could also not give them gates. Right, like that's the challenge. I just, I just don't see. I don't know. Like you've built as as the as the Dutch, you've built this huge hub for travel, uh, and now you're like you're not just putting on the brakes; you're slamming on the brakes in a way. I'm not sure it's the right it's the right move. Well, I, I, this is that's basically KLM's argument as well, right? That the, the irony of this is KLM is sort of stuck in the middle, as we talked about last week, saying, yeah, yeah. "Hey guys, we we don't want these cuts either, but we're going to get out outsized uh, punishment as a result." Um, so it, it's a little awkward, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and this is all because again that interim government in the Netherlands, right? Like, well, so it 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 has been sort of in place since well before the interim government but the fact that the interim government is continuing to push it even though presumably one of the reasons it collapsed was tied to some of this policy um, mm-hmm. so debate over whether that makes sense for it to continue to keep going yeah but yeah not great um let's talk about Aer Lingus and American Airlines are expanding their coach share agreement. Surprising a little bit. Well, you know, now that the United is no longer a coach share partner with Aer Lingus, I guess American can be. <laughs> uh, under the agreement, customers can now purchase flights with Aer Lingus or American Airlines between Dublin and Philadelphia and Dublin, Chicago. Um, yeah. So they're adding those two routes, I guess, and then onward service to. Albuquerque, Nashville, Las Vegas, Kansas City, Portland, Oregon, San Jose, California, Tampa, and Tucson. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the na- are the ones they highlighted in the list? It's not clear that's the entirety of the list. I would yeah, there's probably some more, but um, what I find still amazing about this is uh, a frequent flyer earning is still still doesn't really exist on American. If you're flying, if you're a credit, you can't credit an airline a flight to advantage. <laughs> how does this make sense? Like, how is it even possible to be in the same alliance and not do that? They're not. Well, they're in the same. It's not in the alliance. They're in the same JV, right? They're not. Aer Lingus is not in one world. Oh, I thought they were. No. Um, and does not appear poised to join. So it, there, there's, but they are part of the transatlantic joint venture. I think the Blue Skies, or is that? Yeah, Blue, I think that's what it is. Yeah. I think Blue Sky might be the star, the Sky Team one, but anyway, um, 
they're not part of that one world, quote, quote unquote, one world transatlantic JV. Or they are part of the JV. They're not part of the Alliance. Sorry. So yeah, there's just, it's just such a weird relationship, but um, they are, they have now added that they also, Aer Lingus still has the JetBlue uh, code share and they still are a frequent flyer partner with United, which I, the whole thing is just weird. Yeah. It is. It's very strange. Um, yeah. So, what do you, what do you think Aer Lingus' end game is? What's what's BA's end game? I guess it's the yeah. yeah. Well, BA BA doesn't necessarily have an EA end game, but they would just control Heathrow, right? So they don't need an end game. Um, yeah, it depends on who you ask, right? If you the, their earnings IAG, which is right, the parent group that's those two plus Iberian Welling, um, Aer Lingus premium demand was sort of the the standout surprise for Q three. Yeah, BA's demand is still down relative to the before times. And they're doing okay, but they're not. London is not seeing nearly as much premium business travel because, bit like banker business and whatnot, is down. Well, and BA has a lot more premium seats than Aer Lingus. Yes, but they used to sell them. I don't think they ever sold all of them, right? And I agree. I agree. The demand is down, but I, I think it's not a fair comparison because Lingus has such a small cabin up front compared to what BA has in most of its planes. It's not necessarily a fair comparison between the two. Yeah, I mean it's definitely limited, uh, but the it is much smaller cabin. Yes, BA, I say probably is bigger than United's premium cabins, but is of that style, right? They they went big on big on the front cabin. Um, I think the the argument I'd make is they Airlingus isn't tiny, but especially on their three thirties, but they do fly a lot of three twenty ones transatlantic, and those are smaller cabins. Right. So, and they're also bulking up Manchester now too next year, from what I understand. <laughs> uh, they had a couple flights this year. Those flights seem to have been doing it. I haven't seen if there's too many more. I was reading right. somewhere the other day that they're adding more capacity out of Manchester, and I suspect that has to do with the Dublin Airport drama. Um, the higher fares and capacity limits? Yeah, and the, the fees are going up in Manchester, the right, because there's uh, overly usual utilization there is down. And and the Thomas Cook is gone. Yeah, and Virgin has exited a lot of the stuff from there, too. Yeah. Um, well, let's look at the numbers. Numbers don't lie, right? Uh-huh. Uh, for next summer, Aer Lingus currently is adding Manchester to... Uh, this is Belfast. Nothing long haul. So, hmm. uh, everything else is static. Uh, Virgin is bringing back its Las Vegas plate next summer, for what it's worth. Hmm. So, on a... It doesn't tell what type of airplane it is, but yeah, it's not filed yet. So, but they're they're holding steady with their Orlando and JFK long haul services. Cool. So, Iceland Air, Iceland Air doing uh, some new routes, Pittsburgh to Reykjavik and uh, Halifax. Yeah. Halifax is coming back. Pittsburgh is a new one. Um, I like both of those routes. I think they fit the they fit the Iceland air model in my mind, right? Like the sort of it, it 
makes sense to sort of secondary cities. You can get people into where they want to be in Europe with just one stop. Yep. Um, with, with this, there's going to be, uh, more than 50 destinations and three connection banks at Keflavik, hmm. which three banks is a lot for that market. I feel like, um, and of the 50 destinations, 28 will be daily, 19 or more than once daily, hmm. which is interesting again for Iceland air, very different from its original model. Um, but uh, yeah, Halifax, uh, Pittsburgh will be three times, uh, excuse me, four times a week, mid-May to end of October, and Halifax is three times a week, end of May to mid-October. Wow. And they're flying, I mean, they're flying a lot of maxes now. They are flying a lot of maxes. Uh, three more will join the fleet next year, which will uh, bring the total fleet size to 42 aircraft, of which 21 are the 737 max. So next year, they will, half their operations will be max. Hmm. Uh, then they have some and then eventually, though, the A321. Yeah, so in Faz, I, I noticed that they're doing Vancouver to Reykjavik on the Max. I was like, man, that's got to be. It's, I mean, it's thirty-five hundred. Looks like thirty-five hundred miles. Um, yeah, thirty-five forty-four. So sort of like JFK to or Anchorage to JFK. Yeah, pretty much. Which is what Alaska's doing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. Is 190 miles doesn't make a difference because Portland Catholic, which they do with the 752, is 190 miles longer than... Uh, probably at the edge. Yeah. Especially if you're trying to carry cargo or something. So. Either way, it's painful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I mean, it's it's cool that they're adding Pittsburgh. I think it, I think you're right. It does fit kind of the market that they are trying to meet and the demand that they're trying to meet. So, um, makes it for an easy one-stop connection into Europe. Um so, which is nice. So, um, what else we got? Oh, Titan Air. Uh, Titan Air had a uh, window that melted uh, during a flight. Uh, it melted before the flight. It disappeared during the flight. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, good point. <laughs> uh, but uh, t- do you know? Do you know how this actually happened? So, this is when the UK Air Accident Investigation Board. Again, this happened a little while ago, and they finally filed the report on it. Basically, the understanding is that they had high power lighting set up to do a photo shoot mm-hmm. and it was too close to the outside of the plane and it melted some of the seals. Oops. Wow. Um, and this is not the first time that sort of thing has happened. Hmm. When Turkish airlines got its first 787-9, they brought it over to Istanbul and similarly were doing some photo shoots and, there was some melting. They think they noticed, they noticed it on that one before it got off the ground, but around the composite frame. <laughs> so, if you're going to take photos, yeah, pay attention. <laughs> yeah. Invested LED lighting, perhaps. <laughs> um, yeah, very very big oops. Those are not cheap mistakes. No, no, no. And that was the plane that took off, right, from Gatwick and then had to land. The Titan one. Yeah, uh, I believe so. I, I actually. Vaguely remember when it happened and read a bit about the report, but not the full details. I just know that it was. Yeah. From what I recall, it was they took off. They heard a lot of noise in the background, so they decided to divert. They were supposed to go Gatwick to Stansted, and they ended up going back to Gatwick. Yeah, not good. Yeah. Um, I think that's it, guys. So we're going to talk about Aerojet in Africa. Some uh, 
uh, green washing around fuels and uh, PNG A220, as well as some Asiana cargo news and some Haneda slot news for our Patreon subscribers. So stick around for that. If you're not a Patreon subscriber, we enjoy listening to the show and uh, yeah, giving us your attention for 45 minutes to an hour. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Happy travels. Take care. Bye-bye.